That's what the Bible says, I die daily. Salvation is not cheap. It costs Jesus' life and it's going to cost your life. I'm not talking about physically dying. I'm talking about dying to the ego, to the pride, to the self that lives in us. And Satan wants self to be on the throne. You follow me? And so going back to our story, I talked to her and I said, listen, what you really need to do, you need to call God's presence in your heart daily. And you need to make that more important than life, more important than doctrines, more important than church. I said, doctrines are good. They are from the Bible. Sabbath is good. It is God's command. I'm not talking about cheap grace. Oh, do whatever God saves you. Now, you got to keep Sabbath. You got to do these things. But you can do all of them and not have Jesus and be lost. Pharisees kept Sabbath, didn't they? Pharisees returned tithe, didn't they? But they didn't accept Jesus. I said, you can do all of it. If you don't have Jesus' presence, there is no, no other name except him. You cannot be saved. But if you have him, even if you are the thief on the cross, even if you are Mary or the woman at the well or Rahab, doesn't matter who you are. If you have Jesus, when Jesus lives in you, Jesus doesn't share the heart with Satan. They just don't live together. When Jesus comes in, Satan goes out. It's like light. When you turn the light on, darkness goes out, disappears. They just cannot live together. God and Satan don't live together. When God comes in, as long as he is in, Satan has no power over you. The problem we have no power is because God is not in. It's a theory of God, a knowledge about God, but not the presence of God. When God comes in, as long as Jesus is in you, you are not going to go around cheating and lying and stealing. You follow me? And breaking Sabbath and da, 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 da. When God is in you, his presence in you sanctifies you. When he separates or you separate from him, that's when you go wrong. That's the reason it says Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the reason it says, he who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you keep calling his presence continually, because in Greek there, it's a present continued tense. That means he who keeps on calling continually, every day, every hour, Lord, please come in. I am, without you, I, I, I can do nothing. I am disparate in my human nature. I don't do what I want. Lord, please come into my heart. Into my heart. Those who call the name of the Lord continually, they are saved. Let me give you an example. When God told Noah to invite people in the ark, who are supposed to be invited? How many? All? Including the bad type, bad, bad people? All? So Noah was supposed to call everybody, huh? What if some bad people came in the ark? Would they be saved or lost? But they don't deserve it. They, they, they are not good, huh? Nobody deserves it. When you think that you deserve it, it's because you compare yourself with somebody else. When you compare yourself with that guy from prison, you may look better. But if you stop comparing yourself with people and you compare yourself with God, then you, are, you don't deserve it either. Do you understand? When you compare yourself with God, God's righteousness compared to yourself is garbage. Then all your, not bad deeds, all your good deeds are filthy wrongs. You understand? 
Then you don't need to give up your sins only. You also need to give up your righteousness too. In God's presence, even your righteousness is dirty compared to God's righteousness. Do you understand? Therefore, none of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve... The Bible says in Romans that we all come short of the glory of God. That in Adam, we are all sinners deserving to die. And so, when Noah opened the door, everybody that would have come in would have been saved. Not because of their merits, but because of Jesus' merits. You follow me? I am not saying that you can remain the same. I am saying that when you invite Jesus, His presence is going to grow you. And so, moving on a little in the subject. Uh, is it fair? Rahab and Abraham. Rahab was a prostitute. Abraham was a man of God who sacrificed everything for God. They will be both in heaven. Is it fair? Think about it. The thief on the cross and Paul the apostle. The thief on the cross said, forgive me, and then he died. He will be in heaven. Jesus promised him. Paul sacrificed all his life for Jesus. Is it fair? I mean, I spend all my life running for the gospel and preaching and, and doing this and doing that. And then somebody comes to the church in the 11th hour and he gets baptized and Jesus comes and we both go to heaven. But, but I worked harder, Lord. Do you understand? Heaven is not based on how much you work. Heaven is not based on how much you do. Heaven is not based on how holy you are. Heaven is based on who you know, not what you know. You understand? And so saying that, I'm going to go a little deeper. I'm going to say this. How are you saved? The Bible says, for by grace. You remember? <coughs> For by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. None of yourself is a gift. It's a gift. It, it, it bothers me when, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a bad question. You don't do to inherit. You belong to inherit. Or, the guy who owed 10,000 talents. You remember? He says, forgive me and I will pay you back. Nonsense. Many times I hear people in the church that mix works with grace. Forgive me and I pay back. If you are forgiven, you don't have to pay back because you are forgiven, you have no debt. If you pay back, then you are not forgiven. You understand? Either you are forgiven, and that's grace, or you pay back, and that's works. How do you mix them, grace and works? Well, we'll get there. Just be patient. Just be patient. How do you acquire righteousness? How do you acquire salvation? How do you get them? The Bible says, as an example, Abraham believed, and it was considered to him as, it was credited to him as, Righteous. What did he do? To be righteous, what did he do? 
is right there in the Bible. He believed. He believed. The righteous shall live by faith. He believed. He believed. Did he believe? Did he, was he credited as righteous? Was he considered righteous because he left his country? Because he sacrificed his son? Well, that Bible verse in Genesis, it is when God called him before he left his country, before he sacrificed his son, it's in the beginning of his ministry. God considered him righteous not after what he did, but before he did anything. You understand? Only because he believed. It doesn't say that he was righteous. It says that he was considered, credited as righteous. Basically, after that, he lied that his wife is his sister. After that, he slept with his servant. He was not righteous yet. He was not righteous yet. But he was considered righteous because when you believe in that moment, Jesus takes his divine rope of righteousness, perfect, godly righteousness, puts it on you and takes your dirty, sinful robe and puts it on himself. And you are like you never sinned, though you did. And he's like he did sin, though he never did. That's by faith. That's grace. Grace, when he gives you, he pays your debt. You follow me? That's grace. If I would come and take a note, how much debt you have, how much debt you have, all of you, credit cards, car, mortgage, everything, and then I, I am uh, Jeff Bezos. I, I own... 200 billion dollars, okay? And then I pay all your debt, zero. None of you have zero debt, mortgage, nothing. You owe nobody anything. And then I give each one of you a gift of 10 million dollars. What is that? It's grace. You follow me? Abraham believed. And in that moment, before he could work for it, before he could deserve it, before he could do anything for it, he was in that moment kind of righteous. He received it as a gift. Not that you can work for salvation, not that you can pay Jesus' blood. You can never pay back. But even if you do a little for God, you still don't deserve heaven and you still cannot change yourself. Now listen carefully. Abraham believed. Abraham believed. Abraham believed. I want to clarify something. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You, you know that Bible verse in Hebrew 11? Without faith, it's absolutely impossible to please God. I want to, to move on a little so we could basically make a little uh, progress. What is faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What is faith? What is faith? Faith is the substance of unseeing. You remember? Hebrew chapter 11, the substance of unseeing things. I don't go to recite the whole verse. But what is the substance? Comes from the Latin towards sub and stanza. Sub is what stays under and holds whatever is above. It's like the foundation. And stanza is what stays above when you take a stand. Substance refers to the foundation of the house that holds the house above. And without foundation, the whole house is going to collapse. Faith is what keeps your spiritual Christian life together. Otherwise, you collapse. Unless you have faith, nothing in your spiritual life would count more than zero. You understand? Faith is that foundation 
that makes sense. Otherwise, without faith, nothing can make sense in your spiritual life. That's the reason people that have no faith consider us crazy. That's the reason Paul says that God's wisdom is foolishness for the world. You understand? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you sacrifice your life here for something in the future? Unless you have faith. You understand? So, faith is something that you don't see. Faith is not what we think. We use faith to manipulate God. Oh, when you pray, if you believe, God answers. You know what that means? It's saying that if you believe, God has no choice. He has to answer. Oh, I believe. I pray that God will give me a Mercedes and I strongly believe. God has to give me a Mercedes. Faith is not the way to manipulate God to do what you want. Faith is the way to manipulate you to accept what God wants. It's not what you do to force God to twist his arm to listen to you. It's what you need so you listen to God when you don't understand what is going on. It's like fasting. We use fasting so God would answer our prayers. Fasting is not that God would hear your voice. Fasting is that you clear your mind so you hear God's voice. Fasting is not hunger strike to manipulate God. You understand? And so, faith is something that you use to be able to work with God because without faith, you can never work with God because you don't understand God. Don't even try to understand God. If you try to understand God, you will die. How can you understand infinity? How can you understand eternal life? How can you understand that God has no beginning and no end? How can you understand universe? How can you understand righteousness that is imputed to you? How can you understand that when you know that you are a sinner and I am a sinner? How can you? Those things require faith. And Ellen White says that faith is not a feeling. Don't wait to feel it in order to believe it. Our feelings, our moods, our chemistry have nothing to do with God's love and his promises. God loves you when you feel it and God loves you when you don't feel it. Just the same. God's love doesn't change. She says that faith, it's a mind decision when you don't understand what's going on. You make a decision. I don't understand. I don't deserve. But I'm going to decide to trust in him. It's a mind decision. And God honors that decision. Now saying that, we move a little more. I'm not going to talk about faith too much. It's like a mustard seed. On my finger there, that's a physical mustard seed. And in the right side is a mustard tree. From Loma Linda, I took the picture. Basically, when Jesus says, if you have faith like a master seed, you say to the mountains, move, and they move. But Jesus doesn't refer that you don't need a lot of faith. You just need a little. When Jesus talks there in Greek, talks not about the size, but about the physical principles. Master seed grows from a seed into a tree. And Jesus is implying that you, if you use, if you exercise the little faith that you have, is going to grow. That's the principle there. Basically, God gives you small challenges, not bigger than you can face. And if you exercise faith in small daily things, your faith is going to grow and you'll have faith for bigger things tomorrow. If you don't stretch your faith today, don't expect that you'll make it in the final biggest crisis of all history. You don't wait for that crisis to have faith. You exercise faith today in small things and you develop your faith and when the crisis comes, you have big faith. You don't wait for the final exam during the exam. You, you learn three months in advance. 
The same with faith. You develop faith. You grow faith. You follow me? And so, saying that, we don't talk right now about faith. I want to move to what I really want to talk about. Uh, listen. <clears throat> the more... How do you grow faith? How do you grow faith? People say, Pastor, but I have no faith. I disagree. The Bible says that God gave everyone a measure of faith. How many people? Everyone. How much? A measure. And Jesus says, even if he's like a master seed, the point is not how much faith you have. The point is, do you use it? That's the whole point. Because people choose to dwell on doubts. And this is the key. Whatever plant in your garden you water, that's the plant that is going to grow. Hello? If you nurture your doubts and dwell in your doubts, your doubts are going to grow. If you nurture your faith and dwell in faith, your faith is going to grow. My father used to tell me, hey, many birds can fly above your head. Just don't let them make a nest on your head. Doubts can come, but you say, hey, get away. Don't make a nest in my brain. You choose to talk faith. You don't allow yourself to talk doubt because the way you talk influences the way you think. You choose to talk faith. You choose to pray faith. Don't pray doubts. Pray faith. You choose to think faith. And the more you nurture and feed faith, the more faith is going to grow. You follow me? It depends what you nurture the most. But let's not talk about faith today. Let's move on a little. And we did talk about this. Let's move on. <clears throat> the Lord brought Abraham outside and showed him the sky and said, you see the stars? Yes. So great would be your seed. But Abraham was already old. He didn't logically think, how is that possible? Okay, I am 75 because he was 75 at that time. I'm 75. If we, my wife is not able to have babies anymore, but if we have a baby a year, until I am 100, I'm going to have 25 babies. Still, I cannot have as many as stars. He didn't try to logic, to reason in order to believe. He said, probably. Humanly, it's impossible. Number one, we are old. Number two, my wife is barren. Number three, we don't live so long. But I don't care. If God says so, I don't need to understand. I'm going to choose, listen carefully to the word. Faith is not electricity. Whew, I feel it. I'm going to believe. You don't feel faith. It's a choice. I'm going to choose to believe God. Not because I can do it. Not because I deserve it. But because God cannot lie. I don't need to understand. So Abraham chose to believe, being fully convinced that while you cannot do it, God can do it. Amen. Because God is God. You don't need to understand. If he says, let there be light, poo, there was light. If he says, let there be trees, there are trees. If he says, be still, the, the sea would be still. God is God. If he says he has creative power, it happens. So he says, I cannot have babies. 
But you know, if God says so, I'm fully convinced that what he promises, he's going to do because he's God and he keeps his word. So he chose choice to believe. That honored God. That allowed God to work in his life. For by faith you have been saved. When you pray, Lord, forgive my sins. If you doubt, you cannot be forgiven. If you believe, I believe. His blood is sufficient. He promised. If you confess, I forgive and cleanse. God promised. So in the moment I confess, in that second I am forgiven. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. If you choose to believe, you are forgiven. Not because I say so. Not because you say so. Not because you deserve it. But because God promised in the Bible. Do you understand? So, it's your faith that allows God to work. God paid for you on the cross. But you can benefit from it or you can miss it. Depends if you choose to believe or not. You understand? And so, Abraham chose to believe. And because he believed, he was kind of righteous. Now listen carefully. I want to explain something here. If you imagine, by the way, it says there that Abraham, contrary to any hope, <laughs> have you been in situations when there is no human possible, no human solution, no light at the end of the tunnel, no hope? Situations that you basically, this is a real crisis and I have no way to get out of it. Have you ever been there? And you prayed and then you look back two years or five years later and God got you out? You probably know exactly what I am talking about. When you don't see any way, God smiles and he has a thousand ways. So you don't need to understand. Because contrary to any human hope, he believed God allowed God to work. Now let me, I want to, according to the spirit of prophecy, where she talks about Abraham and talks about faith, she says that uh, Abraham's faith, it's a lesson for all of us. And we should learn how he believed because that's how you develop, how that's how you get righteousness and salvation. And so I'm going to use Abraham's faith as a parallel for us. Abraham's growth as a parallel for us. Abraham's righteousness as a parallel for us. And I'm going to use how by faith he got babies so we understand how by faith we get righteousness. You understand? I'm going to use his lesson as a parallel for us. Okay, so Abraham, let's imagine. Abraham and Sarah went to Andrews University. They were young. He was 29 and she was 19. Ten years difference. He was taking law and she was taking nursing. I imagine. They started to date. She was the prettiest girl in the campus. I mean, everybody, when they saw her, man, she's beautiful. Whoa! You know, she was the prettiest girl in the school. They were dating for three years, then they graduated, and then they said, now we have a salary, let's get married. They got married, and they moved to Florida, okay? And they got a big house, and they got a nice, expensive camel in the garage, a nice car, okay? Uh, they, a Lexus, and they got uh, Tesla, okay, whatever you want, I don't care. And they... Uh, basically, they had a life, and now they look to each other, honey. Now we have a st stable life, a salary piece, a house. It's time to have babies. We don't want to wait too long. So they tried, and nothing happened. As we try to acquire righteousness, and we struggle, 
and we try even harder, and we struggle, and we try even harder, and still we don't manage to become righteous. So they tried, nothing happened. And they tried again, nothing happened. And as we do to acquire righteousness, they tried again, nothing happened. And so they found a way. They started to eat veggies and tofu. Still, they didn't get righteous. That helped them with their health. That was good, not bad. But still, they didn't get pregnant. Is it good to eat healthy? Yes, why do you hesitate? Absolutely, it is good. We are the, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Come on. But does it save you if you eat tofu? Does it save you? No. Should you eat healthy? Yes. Does it save you? No. So they started to eat healthy. Maybe they get pregnant. They didn't. You don't acquire righteousness by eating healthy. And then they started to do this and that. They didn't get pregnant. And then they went to a seminar with Mark Finlay. They went to a seminar of how to get pregnant, you know? How to acquire righteousness. They learned a lot of doctrines. Did they get pregnant? They learned what you do to get pregnant. Didn't happen. They watched on YouTube. They watched seminars. They read books. Did they, uh, the more they knew, theory, did they get health, righteous? Did they get pregnant? That doesn't matter. Is good to know the doctrines? Absolutely. Does it save you? If you know the 2,300 days, if you know the state of the dead, if you, it's good to know them. Absolutely. Shouldn't we know the Bible? It's God's word. But if you have a lot of theory and you understand theoretically everything, does it save you? No. So they still didn't get pregnant. And then they went to the best clinic in Cincinnati and they did treatments to get pregnant. And then they fasted to get pregnant. And then they... You follow me? Still, they didn't get pregnant. You try with all possible human methods to acquire righteousness and salvation, and you still struggle. And eventually, God allowed them to try until they understood that in your power, there is no salvation. And when they got old, and the Bible says that Sarah was after that point that she could get pregnant. When they got old, and it was behind human hope. It was absolutely impossible from a human perspective. When they knew that they cannot do it, when they were fully convinced, I cannot do it. Lord, who is going to save me from this body? I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I just cannot do it. Lord, please help me. I don't do what I want. I hate what I do. My human nature, I cannot change. My, I can change my external behavior, but I cannot change my heart. I still have sinful tendencies. Please, Lord, change me. When they gave up in human power to get babies, that's when God gave them babies. You follow me? When you finally understand that there's nothing in your power that could save you, that's when God can work. So nobody can brag. Nobody can say, oh, I did it. You follow me? And so what happened? 75 years old. Anybody 75, do you think you can get pregnant? You follow me? 75 years old, God talks to Abraham and says, you are going to have as many babies as the stars. Are you kidding me? And then listen carefully now. This is what you need to understand. This is extremely important. Did she get pregnant that year? Yes or no? No, it took another 25 years. So I want you to understand that answer to prayer is not an event, it's a process. That growth, spiritual growth is not an event, it's a process. 
Hello? Pastor, I've been praying for a week now and I don't see any growth. Duh. Have you seen children growing from babies to adults in a week? I've been going to school for a week and I'm still not a doctor. Hello? You understand? There are three stages in salvation. Huh? Justification. You, know, you need to know it. Sanctification. Glorification. Justification takes a second. When you give your life to Jesus. You are not saint. You are justified by faith. You are considered saint, but you are still a sinner. So justification takes a moment. Sanctification takes a life for you to physically grow, spiritually grow. And glorification takes an eternity. Justification when God considers you holy, but you are not holy. Sanctification when God makes you holy. And glorification is when you are finally totally transformed. You follow me? Sanctification, it's a lifelong process. For instance, Israel, when they got out of Egypt, when God delivered them, that was justification. 40 years in the wilderness, that was sanctification. And the entrance in the promised land, that was glorification. You understand? Justification, when God saves you, listen carefully, from the consequences, from, from the, not consequences, from the uh, power of sin. Sanctification, when God saves you from the how is it? Help me here. And glorification, God saves you from the presence of sin. You, you see what I'm trying to say? But anyway, I, we can go deeper into it, but not now. And so, let me explain. So Abraham, 75 years old, you'll get babies. But he didn't get babies right away. It took 25 years. God is patiently working with you to slowly grow you from here to here to here to here. And you say, I've been trying for five years and I am not changed. None of your business how long the process takes. All of your business to remain in Jesus throughout the process. Because you are not saved based on how far you got into the process. You are saved if you are in the process. If you are the thief on the cross, in the beginning of your spiritual growth, you are a baby spiritually. You never did anything good. You never changed. You never produced any fruits. You are in the beginning, the thief on the cross. But you choose Jesus and you die in that moment. You are saved. Not because you are perfect, but because Jesus is in you. And if you are here in your spiritual growth and you are in Jesus, you are saved. Not because you are perfect. Not yet. Far from it. And if you are here like Mother Teresa or if you are here like Paul the Apostle, as long as you are in Jesus... He continually, he continues to grow you. And as long as you are in Jesus, you are saved, not because you are mature yet, but because Jesus is working in you. And because of his merits, you are saved. But if you are here, perfect, like Paul the Apostle, like Isaiah, perfect, and you separate from Jesus, you are lost. You are not saved because you are perfect. You are lost because you have no Jesus. You understand what I am trying to say? So it doesn't matter where you are in the process. Sure, we should desire to be there. But as long as you remain in Jesus and you stay in Him and Him in you, abide in me. 
Abide in me. Again and again, four times in that paragraph. Abide in me. If you are in me and I in you, you follow me? As long as you remain in Jesus, he is working on you. And any moment in that process, if you die or if Jesus comes, you are saved. In the moment you separate from Jesus, that's when you are lost. Salvation is not where you are in the process. It's not how holy you are. It's are you in the process? Is Jesus living in you? That's salvation. Do you understand? I'm going to explain a little through a parable, an illustration, an illustration. Let me imagine, let me explain, let, let's imagine that you are broke. You lost your job. The bank came and they said, two months from now we are going to foreclose your house, we are going to take your house away. Your car broke. You have uh, 40,000 debt on credit card. You have uh, 80,000 school loan debt. Your shoes broke. Your clothing is broken. You didn't pay electricity and they cut out the power. Your cell phone is not paid and they turned off your cell phone. You get the picture. You are broke. And you have no job. You lost your job. And your neighbor is Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or whoever, a multi-billionaire. And you go to the neighbor and you knock in the door and say, Please, I am in debt. I am desperate. I need to pay my debt and I need to eat and I need to pay electricity and I need to pay the bills and I need to pay mortgage. And I, please give me some works. And he says, how much do you owe? 400,000 to the house. 60,000 to school uh, or whatever, 40,000 to credit card, uh, 60,000 to the car, uh, all together $600,000. And he says, you owe 600,000? Yes. And you want me to give you work to pay the debt? We got snow last night. Go and shovel my driveway. I'm going to pay you $25 an hour. Is that a good payment or a bad payment? 25 an hour. It's pretty good, huh? And you work two hours and you get $50. Is it good or bad? Does it pay your debt? It doesn't pay anything. Moreover, not only that it doesn't pay your debt, you need to eat today because you worked. You need to eat. And you, when you go to Walmart or to Myers or whatever store, $50, you know how much you buy? Two plastic bags. Am I right or wrong? If you have a family, that's far from enough. You need to have a whole cart to feed the family. You need to spend 200, not 50 bucks. You follow me? Am I right or wrong? And so, does it pay your debt? No, it can hardly support your life for today. And he pays you. Is that you worked two hours and he paid you 50 bucks? Is that works or grace? It works. You go next day. Please give me some works. I need to pay my debt. He says, listen, man, you know nothing about business. You owe 600000 Whatever you work, you can work 10 lives. You are not going to pay back the debt. Because you, you, 25 an hour, you still need to live. You need to survive. You need to pay bills. You need to pay utilities. Moreover, to pay debt, you, you need a miracle, man. You need a different job. You need something different. And you say, now give me some works. He says, well, you had no snow last night. There is nothing to shovel. Oh, please give me, let me clean your kitchen. My kitchen is already clean. Let me dust your house. My house has no dust. Please let me till your garden. My garden is perfect. I have people pay to do my garden. Please let me. Okay, look in the house. Clean it a little. You look in the house and you find nothing. And you work five minutes and you are done. 
Five minutes. You work five minutes, okay? And he looks to you and he shakes his head and he gives you 100. Is that grace or works? It's both. You work five minutes. You deserve about three, four dollars. And he gives you 100. That's what some Christians do. Oh, God does a lot and I do a little. What you do is garbage. It doesn't save you. It doesn't pay for Jesus' blood. It doesn't pay for eternity. It doesn't pay for salvation. It doesn't just pay for anything. And so he gives you 100. That, is that enough to pay your debt? To save you? 100. Is it paying your 600,000 debt? Okay, you go next day. Man, I need more work because I need to... And he says, you don't get it. You don't need works. You need grace. No, I need to work. Give me work to pay my... Hey, you have been working yesterday and two days ago and you still cannot... Stop trying with works. And he says, sit down. You say, I don't have time. I have to work. Sit down. What you need, you need relationship. Sit down. And you, okay. You sit down and you don't get it. And he sits down. And he says, tell me your life. And you talk four hours and you tell him everything. And then he says, let me tell you my life. And he talks four hours and he tells you everything. And then he says, you know... Now I like you. I didn't know that about you. I, I, kind, of, I kind of like you. He says, man, I, I like you too. I didn't know that you went through this and that. And you know, I like you too. He says, you know what? I, I'm going to help you. I have money. I have $200 billion. $200 billion. You know? I, what is 600000 A drop in the ocean is nothing. Listen, I'm, I'm going to write you a check of $50 million. And you say, come on, man. Don't play games with me. He says, it's not enough? Okay, $100 million. I'm going to write you. You think that he is joking, you know? And he gets the checkbook and he writes $100 million. How much do you owe? $600,000. $100 million? You pay your debt and you have enough to live from interest, you and your children and grandchildren forever. You never have to work again. It's just... And he writes a check. And you look to the check and you doubt because you always don't have faith. It's too good to be true. You got to work for it. You doubt, this is fake. And you go to the bank, and they check it, and they say, it's real. Oh, please deposit before he would change his mind. And they deposit the money. And you go online, and you see in your account $100 million, and you faint. Then you get up again, and you call your wife, honey, sit down, honey. We have $100 million in the bank account. She says, did you drink? No, you know that I don't drink. She says, you are crazy. Please look, check online, go put the password, please, please. No, you are crazy. Please, I went to the neighbor. Who does that? Nobody does that. You pay for everything. Come on, please, honey, go online. She says, okay. So she goes online. And then she calls the children. Oh, we have one. She calls everybody. She jumps and she screams and she, oh, and she goes crazy. Is that grace or works? Can you ever pay for it? How many lives do you need to live and work to pay for that? You follow me? If God, if your neighbor did that for you, would you love your neighbor? If you're broke, if you're dying, if you're losing your house, if you're like, I'm desperate, I'm totally at the end of everything, would you love your neighbor? I tell you what I would do. 
This is what I will do. I will go back to him and hug him so much until we say, enough. I would hug him and kiss him forever. I would say, listen, you don't have to pay me. You already paid me. Let, me. let me dig your garden. Let me clean your driveway. Let me dust your... Let me... Uh, 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 I know I, I, you already paid me. I know I don't deserve anything. I, 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 I do it because I love you. I lo- let me shine your shoes. I do it because you did so much for me. Let me do a little for you. You follow me? When do works come into the picture? You don't do works to save yourself. You do works because you realize how much he has done for you. The spiritual prophecy is very clear. She says, when we understand the value of the cross, we cannot help but love him back and consecrate our lives to him. She says, those that don't joyfully consecrate themselves, and I say it in my words, they have never understood the value of the cross. Works come into the picture when you understand how much he has done for you. Works are the result of understanding God's love. Works are not to pay salvation, but are the the natural consequence of being saved. You don't produce fruits to deserve to be an apple tree. You produce fruits when you are already an apple tree. You follow me? That's the relation between works and grace. And saying that, we need to move on a little to finish. Saying that, imagine Abraham, God told him, you'll have babies, and he, he, let's jump a little, 75 years old, 11 years later, 11 years, have you ever prayed and wait 11 years for an answer? How do you feel? Do you lose your faith? Man, I've been praying for 11 years. You, you, you feel like doubting God. 11 years later, he says, it just doesn't work. So he sleeps with his servant. That's what we do. We try to help God because God needs help. When you try to do something to help God, you make a mess. God doesn't need your help. God needs your commitment. God needs your surrender. God needs your heart. God needs you to choose him daily and then he doesn't need your help. You make a mess. Let him do the growth. Let him do the salvation. You follow me? 11 years later, he says, oh, let's help God. And then God comes back and says, no, it's not the son that you made. It's the son that I give you. You need to trust in me. I give you that right. It's a gift. And then he's 99. 99. 100. And God says, next year your wife will be pregnant. Would you believe that if you're 100 and your wife 90? Would you still believe that? Next year you'll have a baby. Come on. When you understand that you cannot do it, only then God will do it. When you fully understand that what you need It's Christ in you. And you understand your total dependence upon his presence. Enoch walked with God. That's what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to be continually connected. Jesus says in John 15, separated from me, you you are nothing. 
continue. That's the reason he says pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean keep asking without ceasing. It means stay connected without ceasing. It means that Christ and you should be one. You follow me? He is the head, we are the body. Can you separate the head from the body and be alive? And so, that's what we need to understand. When he is finally 90, he doesn't even have faith. Sarah starts laughing. I am 90, come on. That's when she gets pregnant. Righteousness, spiritual growth, salvation, all of this come not because of human efforts, but because of God's continual presence in our daily life. Growth happens not when you try to change yourself. Growth happens when God lives in you. Therefore, our greatest fight is not to change ourselves, but to stay connected. And Satan knows that. And Satan is not afraid when we go to church. Don't get me wrong, we should go to church. Satan is not afraid when we know the doctrines. We should know the doctrines. Satan is not afraid when we keep Sabbath or don't eat pork. Or Satan is not afraid of those good things. But Satan is afraid when we are connected to Jesus. Satan doesn't run when you sing in the choir or go to care meeting. But Satan runs and trembles when you pray. Because God's presence in you is going to cast out Satan and his power and his influence. Therefore, Satan is trying to distract us with a million things that we never have time to pray, never have time to study, never have time. You follow me? Satan is trying to keep us away from God because that's the secret of all power and growth and victory and salvation. Christ in you. Christianity is to be continually connected with Christ. You may call yourself a Christian when you are disconnected, we are not Christians. And that's the key of power. And the spirit of prophecy talks about that. And she says, the more we call his presence, the more we get disciplined about that, the more we get used to stay with him until we get to the point that we are continually connected. That's when he can work. That's the reason Enoch walked with God. That's the reason we sing, and he walks with me and he talks. It's a continual daily connection. You cannot do it, I cannot do it. But Christ can do it. You don't need to understand how, you'll never, how can we, with small brain, understand God's infinite brain and God's infinite power? Don't try to understand, just believe his promise. Christ can do it. All you have to do is to invite his presence daily. Every morning, Lord, Daniel would pray several times a day. Basically, do this. After you have your daily devotional in the morning, set up your alarm clock at 10 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, at 2 o'clock, at 5 o'clock. Not for one hour devotional. For 15 seconds to say, Lord, I have a tendency to get busy and forget about you. Please remind me that you are here. Let me be aware of your presence. Please don't let me forget. Please don't let me disconnect. I want you more than life. I want you more than anything. I want your presence. I want you more than blessings. I want you. Please come into my heart. If you pray periodically, you are going to get used to be aware of God's presence and to stay connected. Your job 
is to invite God's presence in your heart. His job is to save you. Therefore, when you get to heaven, you are going to bow down and say, take the crown and you are going to put it on his feet. I don't deserve it. I don't know how you did it, but I am happy I am here. Because you never understood how he did it. You will just be amazed to be there. And you will know at that moment that you cannot pay for it. It's all grace. Therefore, our salvation, our growth, our victory are all based on His power and His presence. I am not saying that we should do whatever. I am not saying that we should not grow. I am saying that growth in human power or salvation in human power is impossible. I am saying that with God's presence, all those things will happen. Not because we understand, not because we can do it, not because we deserve it, but because of His goodness. You follow me? Stop trying to be saved. Start calling His presence. You will not see growth from today to tomorrow. You don't see children growing. You don't see flowers growing. But five years down the road, you look back and you will say, clearly He has been working on me. It's what Jesus told Nicodemus. You don't see the wind, but you will see its effects. The work of the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You are not going to see how He works. But you will see the effects. Two, three years later, you look back and you will see clearly that God has been working and is working in your life. You follow me? I'm going to try to finish because our time is up. But let's move on. We did talk about all of this. Money, talking about righteousness and salvation. Money cannot buy it. Intellect cannot procure it. Wisdom cannot attain it. You can never hope by human efforts to secure it. But God gives it to you as a gift. Without money, without price. Steps to Christ 49. Isn't that nice? I'm not going to talk about this. We, yeah, we better jump to the end of the sermon. That's about comparing our righteousness with one another, and then comparing our righteousness with God's righteousness. And basically, this is what happens. When you look to people, you may feel that you are better. But when you look to God, you understand that you are far from what you should be. And Ellen White has a very interesting statement that I have there in, later in the presentation. She says that the closer we get to God, the worse we feel about ourselves. People come to me, Pastor, I started to pray. I started to study. I started to do things. And I don't feel any growth. I feel actually worse. I said, praise the Lord. They say, what do you mean, Pastor? Until now, you were sick and you didn't know that you were sick. Now you finally know how you are. <laughs> because when you get in God's presence, that's when you start to really understand who you really are. That's when you get disparate. And the more you see him, the more disparate you are. Because when you are far from him, you may think that you are okay. But the closer you get to him, the more you understand how he is, and compared to him, you understand how you are. And then you feel the disparate need of his presence, and you say, Lord, I now understand. I am nothing without you. I need you more than anything. And that's when you seek him with all your heart. 
And then you get closer, you need him, you get closer to him. When you get closer to him, you start to understand his love, his grace, to understand how he works. And then the more you understand him, the more you love him. When you understand how gracious, how patient he is, how merciful he is, that you don't deserve it, and you ask for forgiveness, and he forgave you, and then you did it again, and then you ask again for forgiveness, and he forgave you again. When you understand how gracious he is, and then you don't deserve help, and you pray and he helps you, you are, your mind is blown away. You say, why would you do that for me? And the closer you get to him, the more you know him, the more you understand his love, the more you love him, and the more you desire him. So you seek him even more, and you get even closer. And when you get closer, you understand him more, and you want him more, and you love him more, and you get even closer. And then when you get even closer, you know him even better. And this never ends until you become one. And people look to you, and they don't even see you. They see Jesus. And they say, I can see that these people walk with Jesus. That's when our church becomes attractive. Our church has the truth. But people are not attracted by doctrines or sermons or good programs. People are attracted when they see Christ in us. You follow me? And the church is not attractive until people can see Jesus' character in us. His love, his compassion, his patience, his mercy, his, his goodness in us. You follow me? That's the best possible evangelism. And so, when you feel bad, that means that you get closer to Jesus. Don't get discouraged. That's good news. Get even closer. Because sometimes people say, I cannot even go to church. I am such a sinner. That's foolishness. It's like you saying, I cannot go to the doctor. I am sick. I'm going to get until I get well, and then I go to the doctor. Hello? You don't go to God because you are perfect. You go to God because you are not perfect. You follow me? And so, I'm going to move because I don't have time anymore. You are a sinner. You cannot atone for your past sins. You cannot change your heart. You cannot make yourself holy. But God promised to do all of this for you through Christ. You must believe. When you pray, do you believe? Lord, change me. And then say, Lord, I don't get it. But I believe that you are working on me. Say it. Because the way you pray influences the way you think. And that allows God to work. Lord, say it. I believe. I don't get it. I don't deserve it. I cannot do it. But I believe that you will do it. Because you love me. And because you gave Jesus. And because you promised. You must believe. If you believe God's promise, God will supply the facts. He will make you whole. Don't wait to feel, oh, I feel good. Uh-uh. Just say, I believe. Say, I believe. And he is going to work. You believe not because you feel it, but because God has promised. Now listen. And then thank God that you have received it. Before you receive it, praise him that you have received it in faith. You follow me? It's like Jericho. God told Joshua, they should walk around the city today and tomorrow, and then in the seventh day, walk seven times, and then blow the trumpet, and then Joshua says, you remember? Shout! In Hebrew, it says, shout of victory. They were supposed to shout of victory not after the walls came down, but before. Anybody can shout of victory after you see the miracle. 
But faith is to shout of victory while you are still in trouble, while the walls of Jericho are still ahead of you and the giants are on the wall. And you are supposed to jump up and down and shout of victory. Yeah, I am victorious. That's when God can work. You follow me? When you believe that God did it for you, though you cannot see it, and you are saved, you cannot be lost because Jesus promised. That's when he can work in you. You need to rejoice in his promise. You follow me? And so, I think we need to finish. Salvation is found in no one. There is no other name. Through the simple fact of believing God, the Holy Spirit has already begotten a new life in your heart. You are a child born into the family of God, and He loves you just as much as He loves His Son, Jesus Christ. Wow! Just because you believe. That's major. That's gigantic. As you read God's promises, remember they are an expression of unutterable love and pity. The great heart of infinite love is drawn toward you with boundless compassion. Only believe that God is your helper. As you draw near to him with confession and repentance, he will draw near to you with mercy, forgiveness, and a new life. All you have to do, draw near to him. Draw near to him. Call his presence. Believe in him. Say, Lord, I want you. Please change me. Every day, I believe that you will do it. I believe in you. I need you. Because that's what we need. We need God's presence in the heart. We should never be separated from God. That's the key. We should never, ever, not for a second, be separated. When we are in Christ, we are saved. When we separate, we are lost. Okay? We finished. Whoa, we are done. This is simple. But to implement it, it takes a life. However, you should not wait. You need to start it today. And you need to experience this every day. And as you invite his presence every day, he's going to work in you. And he's going to grow you and then use you and then basically bless others through you. Because the closer you get to him, the more he can work through you, not only for you now, but for others too. People that have Jesus, they have power and influence. I'm not talking about political power or physical power. I am talking about that influence that people can sense and people know that God's presence is with you. It's like Joseph. Even in prison, everybody would say, he has the spirit of the God. You remember? He, he has the spirit of the living God in him. People could see Daniel in Babylon, all of them. Everybody could see that they have God's presence and favor with them. That's what we need to be. Regardless what we go through, God's presence needs to be to the point that it becomes visible. 